Welcome to the Six Figure Product Biz Podcast. I'm Carrie, a product-based business coach. I started, scaled, and sold a successful multi-six-figure e-commerce business, and now I love teaching entrepreneurs like you how to start, grow, and scale your dream product business. I'm obsessed with all things marketing, e-commerce, and business, and I cannot wait to share all my secrets with you. I also love all things dogs and coffee. Each week, you'll learn step-by-step tangible strategies to help you scale to the next level in your business, skyrocket your sales and traffic, reach more customers, and gain greater visibility in your business. Because I know you don't want to waste your time or energy trying to figure it out all on your own, but you want the business growth roadmap so you can create a profitable product business that gives you the life you love. Whether you're thinking of starting a product biz or scaling yours, this podcast is the secret sauce to making all those dreams come true. So grab your coffee and your favorite notepad and let's get started. What's up, my friends? Welcome to this week's episode of the Six Figure Product Business Podcast. We have a super fun episode this week, and we're talking with Taylor Sloop, the founder of Engineered Artistry. And she's talking and dishing all the dirt on how she's leveraging in-person markets to grow her business and build major traction for her for her online store. So Taylor is a knitter, business owner, PhD candidate, and founder of Engineered Artistry, a fiber arts business providing women with the final piece to turn their house into a home or the perfect accessory to cap an outfit. So one of the amazing products that she creates are handmade Christmas stockings. And these beautiful things are a total work of art. So if you are looking to add a beautiful handmade high quality piece that will last forever, be sure to check out her store engineeredartistry.art. And she's also having a Christmas in July sale. So go and check it out right now. Um, The dates will be on her website and all that kind of information, but this will be airing July 18th when you're listening here. So hopefully um, she is having the sale right now for you and you can go and grab yourself a beautiful Christmas stocking. They're absolutely beautiful. So in this episode, we've never had an episode that talked about in-person market. So this is a first and I'm super excited about that. She's really talking all the things that help her basically find the right markets to go to to sign up for how to set up your booth to drive traffic and to sell the best products and just all these cool little data driven things that she uses in her business to figure out the best way to do things it's super super fun and i love that she's super scientific and and data driven but then also creates these beautiful christmas stockings and she can really leverage that data driven mind to grow her business so i love it we had an awesome conversation and you will absolutely love her so thanks so much taylor for being on and i hope you can grab a coffee or grab a wine and let's dive into this episode welcome to the podcast, Taylor. I am so happy to chat with you. How's it going? Good. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm I'm super pumped. So before we dive into all things in-person markets and the cool things that come with that, if you want to just introduce yourself and tell everyone, you know, who you are, your name, and what your business is. Yeah, sure. So I'm Taylor Sloop. Um, I'm a knitter and crocheter, and I own and operate engineered artistry. Um, so I sell mostly uh Christmas is my far and away favorite season. So I sell a lot of Christmas stockings, Christmas decor, but I also love making lacy scarves and shawls. And basically I sell whatever I enjoy making. Um, I've been doing markets for the last three years and I do definitely focus on Christmas markets since I mostly sell Christmas stockings. Nice. When did you start the business? 
I started the business in May of 2020 when I decided to do my PhD um, because knitting has always been my stress reliever. And I wanted to be able to knit more as I went into my PhD, which meant I needed to have somebody that would take the stuff that I made off my hands. So Mm -hmm. it started out as just like funding my hobby. And now I've really enjoyed the business side of it and growing it and seeing where it'll go. Oh, I love it. And I have to say before we you know, start chatting about the business stuff. Um, Your stockings are so awesome. I'm definitely, I know I told you last year that I was going to buy one, but I will buy one this year. I think I, I don't know, I get very like squirrel brained and I just forget things, but um, yeah, your stockings are amazing. And I know how much like love and care that you put into them. So how long does it take you to make one? I'm just curious, like the Christmas Uh, Between six and eight hours, depending on which stocking it is. Oh, wow. So a lot. Lots of time. Jeez. Yeah. Okay, cool. Let's dive into it. So this is the first, and we've already talked about this, but just for anyone listening, you have not been on the conversation, so I'll just repeat myself. (laughs) Um, This is the first episode on this podcast, so two and a half years of episodes, almost 200 episodes that we've done here, and there's not been a single one about in-person markets. I'm kind of shocked, actually. Um, when Taylor, when I got Taylor, you know, when we agreed to have Taylor on, I was like, oh my God, yes, in-person markets. Why have I not had a single podcast episode about that? Um, so I'm super excited to just chat with you and just kind of learn, you know, all the things that you have figured out doing in-person markets because I think one of the biggest issues with having an e-commerce business is trying to convince people to buy a product from a website screen. And sometimes it's really hard to take a physical product and portray it the way that you can in person on a website, you know, and that's the benefit of doing markets is like, you're not, you don't have a brick and mortar store, but you're still selling products in person and people can touch them. They can smell them. They can like feel them. They can, you know, I don't know, what's the word? Like get all those senses that you can't on a website. So I would just love to hear, talk about your process with markets. Like how did you get started with those? Um, I would love to hear all right. First, tell me how you got started. Then I want to ask you some questions because I go go to a lot of markets. I am like a huge farmer's market person, pretty much anything. And I have a lot of opinions, <laughs> of course. I have a lot of opinions on a lot of people's tables and setup and presentation. And I want to talk about that because I think there's so many mistakes people make. However, there's so many cool things that people do. And I love I love seeing a good booth, you know, a good banner, a good setup, like they're friendly. They're not looking at their goddamn phone the whole time. It's it's wild. Okay, I'm going to stop talking and let you talk. So tell me, like, how did you get – how did you first get started with markets and, like, what kind of in-person markets are you doing? Is it, like, a farmer's market or, like, a specialty one? So I pretty much always stick with the specialty Christmas markets. Um, because people are specifically coming to buy gifts or Christmas decor. So that okay. tends to be a lot more of my target audience because my prices are really high. It's definitely a high-end business. I mean, it takes me six to eight hours to make it and I use hand-dyed merino wool. So it's my stockings are expensive. So that's not something people are just going to see at a farmer's market and go, oh, it's October. I definitely need my stocking now. So it's definitely got to be a seasonal thing for me, at least okay. on my scale. Mm-hmm. Um, so I stick with the Christmas markets or I have done a Christmas in July market. That was actually really fun. Oh, nice. Um, okay. So, and I usually tend to stick with um, churches and high schools. So they'll usually put on much cheaper craft fairs than like your um, 
oh, what are they called? Some of the big charities, um, I'm drawing a blank on what they're called, but a lot of the charities in my area will host these massive five-day uh, events, and those are a little bit too big and too expensive for me. So I tend to stick with the high schools that put on one or two-day events, the churches that'll put on one or two-day events, um, and try to pick areas that have a lot of people in my target audience. So if it's like a more, I Christmas is definitely much more Christian, so you're picking, you know, usually for me, it's a Protestant churches with a lot of young families. So the more kids that they have like an elementary school or preschool in their church, that's going to be much more of my target audience. So trying to pick the places that I know my target audience will be. Okay. Um, And then I find most of mine on Facebook groups is actually where I found most of the events that I go to now. Hmm. So during the holiday season, how many, like, let's just say on average, how many markets would you go to or attend? Three to four usually. Okay. And most of them are two-day markets. So I'm there for about eight days, seven to eight days usually. Okay. Nice. What, talk about your first market. Cause I I can imagine the first one to like where you are today, it's going to look very different. And I would love to hear in particular, what mistakes you made. Um, We all love to hear like, I made eight figures in my sleep yesterday, but I really like to always ask people like, what's the real shit that you did that other people are going to do? So let's make, let's help them to not make those mistakes. So like, yeah, what was your biggest mistake? But I would also love to hear what was that first market like for you? Like, how did you feel? Were you nervous? Did you like, yeah, I'd love to hear it. I was so nervous for my first market. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I picked one that was way too expensive. Um, and it ended up having nobody come because it was the weekend that the Braves won the world series. Oh, so they okay. shut down all of the streets leading into the place where the market was for the parade. Oh, so no. literally nobody could even come to the event. <laughs> so oh, it was no. um, not a great, uh, craft fair through no fault of the organizers. It just timed out. Um, although that was really fun watching the games because we all pulled up phones and were watching in the booths when nobody was there. Oh my God. It was, and that's it was empty. That's Atlanta, right? Atlanta Braves. Yeah, Atlanta Braves. Okay. Just want to clarify. Um, so, so you it was it was a little empty and my booth, I definitely put way too much stuff out. I had, I think, every sweater that I'd made. I even borrowed a couple back from my mom and sister when I'd made them stuff years ago as more of my samples. I borrowed those back. I had way too much out on my tables. I didn't have a consistent colors at all. Um, and I didn't actually <laughs> remember to leave my pl- myself somewhere to stand. So like I had to stand in the walkway because I didn't think about that when I set up my tables that I have to actually be here for, you know, 15 oh. hours of the course of three days. Yeah. So definitely a, a learning curve. But the people that did come all because there wasn't much pressure, they could stay in the booths for a while and everybody was just chatting vendors and customers. Mm-hmm. So the people that did come shopped a lot. So I actually ended up doing okay. I made back plus a little bit, which I called a win for my very first craft fair ever. Yeah, but absolutely. It was, it was, I learned a lot from the first one. Did you, did you have like a banner, like a sign, or not a banner? So if you're doing, okay, so I'm thinking of like farmer's markets where people have the banners above, I'm like waving my hands around like as if I'm showing people what I'm talking about. Um, at farmer's markets, you know, they have like the banner above the booth that's like probably hanging on the structural piece. 
at the craft fair that you're referring to, there probably isn't like a huge banner, but you would have like a tablecloth or something. Could you talk about like what your display looked like? Because I probably have a couple questions just on like what you did and things like that. Yeah. So I pretty much always get a 10 by 10 booth if possible. I don't ever go smaller than nine by nine just because my tables don't fit in that. Um, Mm -hmm. And I use a U shape of three tables. So like you can walk in a circle around it. And at the front, I, for the first cracker, I did not have this, but I actually built with my dad, a checkout stand, a folding checkout stand oh. that I put at the front. Wow. Um, so I have somewhere to sit that I'm kind of like not getting in people's way when they're trying to look at things. And I'm usually knitting behind it. So people will be more likely to come in and ask questions. I found if I'm doing something with my hands, so I'm not just staring at somebody when they come in the booth. Um, Okay. But for my signage, I actually got a folding chalk board. So like the ones that you see in front of coffee shops and stuff like that. Oh, um, yeah, and yeah. my sister is an artist. She actually designed my logo for me a very long time ago. But I convinced her to draw on the chalkboard the logo that she made for me and all the stuff that I sell. So that's the sign I use right now is just the oh, chalkboard. Oh, so cool. I want to see what this sign looks like. I'm curious now. It's on a couple of post somewhere back when I did craft fairs, but in December. Oh, nice. She did a very good job. I was very impressed. Uh, That sounds really (laughs) nice. Um, did you, so, okay. So it's your first one or two fairs, whatever. Did you focus on, cause this is a mistake that I see a lot of people making is they don't focus on getting people's email addresses. So did you I actually did. And that was the fair I grew my email list at the most because I did a giveaway of a Christmas stocking. So I got like 40 emails or something over the course of that weekend. Um, But to be honest, I don't think it worked well because most of none of those people have ever actually come back and purchased. They wanted the free thing. They weren't interested enough in my stuff to buy it. So I don't know that a giveaway is as good an option. So um, this year I'm going to be trying out having a 5% off coupon that if you Mm -hmm. sign up, you can apply to the order you're buying now. Because when you check out, you don't get their emails. Even if they ask for an email receipt from Square or Shopify and stuff, they don't give you those that information. So that's what I'm going to be testing out this year. But I would not recommend the giveaway because those emails, I have them, but they're not really doing me much good. They don't ever interact with stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. Um, And I think sometimes like you just have to test those things out. I think a lot of it is like it just depends on the, you know, the product and like the people at the event and things like that. But I definitely think the offering a small discount is going to, you know, it always incentivizes people a little bit more. So, but yeah, that's a huge mistake. Close a few sales sales too. Yeah. 5% makes a difference versus a giveaway you can't get today. It definitely does. And especially if they went to your booth, they saw your stocking, they're like, all right, I can't, I like it. It's a little expensive, so I'm going to think about it. And then, you know, either ideally that you would email them after being like, dear Susan or whoever, so nice to meet you. Like, don't forget your 5% discount. And then they're like, all right, fine. I'll just, you know, I'll get it. Um, but that's a mistake I see people making at markets and fairs is, is not – getting people's email addresses like whatever way humanly possible if they don't order from you you know most people aren't going to order from you you know but making an effort to get email is so 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 important and um, I'm so happy that you you know at least you tried something the first time and maybe it didn't work but that's okay like most 
I would say most people don't ever try to get emails. So your first market, I think, you know, you already were five steps ahead. So I think that's amazing. Um, so how did your journey with markets progress? So you did did one the first year, and then what did it look like after that? Did you feel like you did different marketing tactics? Did you do different things with your display? Um, I'm also curious of your strategy with, you said that when you were sitting at the booth, you would like knit something and people would be more likely to come over versus if you're just sitting there like staring at people. I'm curious about that because when I go to markets and things and my biggest pet peeve, and I've already told you about this before, it drives me crazy is, and I feel very strongly about this because <laughs> you go to a farmer's market or a, a fair and you wa- you're walking past, you're checking things out. You're like, all right, that sign looks cool. Or like, oh yeah, that hot sauce looks great. I'm going to check that out. And then you'll walk past someone and they're just literally on their phone, head down, staring at their phone. Like, I view that as don't come to my table. You know what I mean? I'm curious what you think about it. I do think it's different when you're actually making a product because I see the jewelry people doing that too. So, And I've never once thought, oh, they're not inviting me in. But when you're head down looking at your phone, I feel like you are closing the door for people to come by. And when I'm at a market, and maybe it's because I'm an e-commerce coach and I'm aware and, I, but, and I'm also critical, like... I notice the mistakes people are making, but I also notice equally the things people are doing well. And if like, if I'm at a booth, I feel like I'm on a tangent here, but like if I'm walking around and I see someone like being friendly or they have a cool display, like I'm way more likely to go to their booth versus the person head down looking at their phone. And I almost will never go to their table, even if they have a cool product. That's just my personal opinion, because I just feel like it's super rude and unfriendly. Like, why are you there? Why are you wasting your own time if you're just going to be looking at your phone the whole time? So I'd love to know what you think. So I think part of it is when I'm knitting, I actually don't have to look down. So Mm -hmm. I am still looking up. And whenever somebody comes by, I say, hi, I'm seeing everybody that's walking by. But Mm -hmm. I'll look down every once in a while to check where I am and things like that. So it tends to be enough that I notice as soon as somebody walks in the booth, I say, hi, let me know if you have any questions. Um, And usually knitting will actually instigate a conversation. They'll ask, oh, you made all of this. Mm -hmm. Um, Because a lot of times Mm -hmm. my mom mom or husband will come and help and they assume my mom made everything in the booth instead of me, um, which is always (laughs) fun. So if I'm knitting, they'll start asking me, oh, how long have you been knitting? What do you do? All that kind of stuff. So it tends to instigate a conversation and then they stay in the booth. And that's usually when I make sales is the longer you're in the booth, the longer you're looking, the more you're talking to me, the better it goes. And knitting tends to start that conversation. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then it also helps when a lot of people will just pass right by the booth. At least I'm working on the orders that I owe other people. So even if I have a bad day, I'm still moving forward in the other things that I need to get done for my business too. I love but that. I I don't ever check check my phone, and I only work on projects that I know I can do without having to pay a lot of attention to them. Okay, so. gotcha. That's so smart, and I I can't believe that you can knit something while looking straight up. That that's... it's taken many years. I've been knitting since I was eleven, so wow. fourteen years now. So that's very impressive. At some point, it's just you feel it with your hands. I can't crochet without looking, but I can knit without looking. 
And what, like, what are your thoughts on the people that look down? Cause I'm sure you, and I don't even mean looking down, like if you're like doing something that's normal, but if it's like the phone thing, I feel like that one example of like someone sitting at a table, looking down at their phone, it's like, I would love to hear your thoughts. I think it re- really depends on the fair. Cause I've noticed if it's um, a lot of introverts that are coming to the booths, they don't like to talk to any of the vendors. They're more likely to go up to somebody that's busy. I don't I, like, you can tell everybody's personality based because if I'm really busy on something and they'll come in and stay for five or 10 minutes. And then as soon as I look up and start to talk to them, they leave immediately. So I think it's a personality thing. They really oh. don't want to talk to somebody when they're shopping versus somebody who does like to interact with the person, especially if it's a small business and wants to get to know the owner and know why they're buying from this person. I think yeah. it's, I think a lot of it's a personality thing. So I guess if you know which one is your target audience, yeah, you'll know which way to go. But I don't think I'd ever recommend phones because I don't know about you, but if I'm on my phone, I'm not going to notice somebody else walking by. So yeah. I won't know somebody's in the booth to be able to make that judgment mm-hmm. of should I step in and talk or do I need to leave them be? Yeah. So I still wouldn't recommend phones just because it's distracting, but yeah, yeah. I've no. seen people do like crosswords and stuff. And so they're paying attention. Okay. They're doing something else, which I mean, people were always stopping in their booths. So it's what I can see in the booths all around me because I don't use my phone. I don't want the battery to die. That's how I take payments. So, okay. Smart. Yeah. And I totally understand. I mean, I used to do events and I'm definitely an introvert and it's, it's awkward. Like it can feel awkward, it can feel uncomfortable. I'm definitely not saying, you know, oh, you have to go to an event and like sit at your booth and be like, come on in, people, <laughs> like come by. <laughs> like that can also be like, no, I don't want to go by. Very off-putting. Be quiet. <laughs> I actually sometimes at the flip side, I feel like I'm very, I sound very high maintenance when it comes to markets. I, I really am actually, now that I'm talking about this. I sometimes when I'm walking around, and they're like too pushy. I'm like, oh, no. I feel like your approach is good. Like you acknowledge them. Hello, let me know if you have any questions. That That's all you need to do, I think. Because you're making eye contact even for a second. You're saying hello. So you're being friendly and polite. You're inviting them to come and look at your stuff. And you've said, you know, you've opened the conversation or like you've opened the door to a conversation, but you're not being pushy. So I think your approach is actually like, perfection. So I'm glad that, you know, it's obviously working for you. So that's great. So for anyone listening, if you are the phone person at the farmer's market, please stop. Um, (laughs) Go get a crossword or I don't know, but get off your damn phone. And, but I also think there is a level of like not being too pushy, but being friendly, inviting someone in, figuring out how to get people to have a conversation or even like, I know with like, cause I, I go to a lot of markets and I always look at jewelry and I really like when people kind of like, they're not hovering, but they're like, they're there and they're like, let me know if you have any questions. This is like, and they kind of explain quickly this, these are these things. And like, you know, this is our new earring or, you know, this one's made from gold. I don't know. Like they just give a bit of an an explanation, but like very briefly. And I also think that really is helpful as well. So. Yeah. Yeah. And then I've also, the biggest thing I figured out on my booth setup is I should put, there's a couple of things that I should put in the front because I can tell when somebody sees it, they stop dead. 
um, because it's, so I actually recreate traditional stockings. Um, so if you have a stocking, somebody else in your family, um, like my grandmother's best friend made my sister in my stocking. So when I got married to my husband, I recreated it. And apparently there's a lot of people that have stockings, but the person who made them has passed or has arthritis and can't knit anymore. So mm-hmm. I can recreate pretty much any stocking as long as it's knit. So I put those two up in the front and I'll get people that will stop dead in their tracks because it's the exact same stocking that their parents had. Oh, that's so cool. So they'll always stop. And I can tell like if it's in a very specific spot, it's the only thing in that part of the booth. So if they stop there, I know that that's what they're looking at. So I can give the spiel that I always give for the recreation stockings because they're clearly somebody that's interested in it. Um, But if they breeze right past that, then I know that's a spiel that I should skip for that person because that's not something that they probably have. They're not familiar with that type of stocking. Um, So if you spread things out in a very specific way, you'll know how what to pitch to each person, which has been really helpful. Because if you pitch the wrong thing, then they're just going to leave. So I found spreading it out to be extremely helpful. And how long did it take you to figure that tactic out? Because that's so, like, I feel like you've mentioned so many small things that are super, super smart to like get people to stop by. You're not annoying them. You're giving them information, but then also things that like they're conversation starters. Like, how did you figure that out? I'm just curious. I am not great at talking in front of crowds. It is not my thing. So doing the markets is very much out of my comfort zone. (laughs) So I want the way I work when something stresses me out is I look at data. That is why I'm getting my PhD in engineering. So every time there's an interaction, I try to compare it back to other things. And I've noticed, like I tried, my mom actually suggested, oh, just put the stockings at the front. We don't have anything to fill that spot. So just stick them there. And I noticed that people are always stopping for that. So the next day at that same craft fair, I moved those stockings to see if people would still pick it out if I put it somewhere else and they didn't. Um, So I moved it back. And then the next craft fair, I started when they stopped there, I'd start talking about that stocking instead of when I usually talked about when they actually get all the way into the booth. Um, And it worked much better. So it was just a lot of trial and error and basically running little mini experiments for each of my crafters, which also keeps me engaged the entire day. Because if you're there for eight or nine hours, it can get very boring very quickly. So Mm. I run little experiments throughout the day, move things around, see what draws people in better. That's so awesome. That's really, really smart. And that makes sense because again, you are, you have like the science brain, but also you have the creative brain because you are making these like beautiful stockings and like, you know, doing markets. And I love that. It's like such a cool little balance. And I also just appreciate that you are using data to like make decisions. I love that so much. I feel like so much of business is, is like thinking about, you know, okay, I did this and what happened. And how can I compare that to this next thing that happened? So I think that's really, really cool. I can like see you with like a little spreadsheet, like, okay, farmer's market, put the booth, put the thing here. And like this many people stopped here. And like the next day you would like switch it around. I can like see you like tracking on a spreadsheet. (laughs) It works so well. I love Excel. (laughs) I love it. Um, Okay, cool. And so what else? when it comes to markets, like, um, I know it's like, you know, how to find the best ones. How do you, I'm just curious since we're kind of talking about some mistakes that people are making, but like, what mistakes do you see a lot of people making when you go to all these markets? Um, 
if you notice people's mistakes or just things that you're just like, like me with the phone, like that for me is such a mistake. But for you, you might think other things are mistakes. I'm just curious what things you notice that you're like, oh, I feel like that isn't working well for that person. Um, the things that I usually notice the most are booth setup and then what the vendors are doing during the events. Cause I'm there the entire day. So I get to compare what they're doing throughout the day. I have definitely stolen ideas from booths next to me that worked really, really well. That's actually where I got my phrase of the, hi, welcome to my booth. Let me know if you have any questions. I stole that from the person next to me at the very first uh, <laughs> event. So highly recommend listening to the people around you. Um, but a lot of times they'll set up their booth and it's really hard to figure out what they're selling when you look in. So because when you're walking by and it's really narrow walkways, usually you have to really think about from both directions, what can people actually see as they're walking towards your booth? So a lot of people will put um, something that's really not reflective of the rest of their booth at the very front. And then even if they'd love most of what you sell and that one thing's not it, then they'll walk right past or the other thing can happen of where they love that one thing, but they don't want the rest of it. And they also won't walk in your booth. Um, I've seen that a lot, especially like with jewelry. I've noticed it the most if they sell mostly really small pieces, small, cute necklaces, little earrings, which is definitely my style, but mm-hmm. they put their big clunky jewelry at the front. So you're mm-hmm. attracting the people that probably aren't going to buy most of your stuff um, from what they can see as you walk past. Because that angle with the little square boost, that angle is really tight. So you can literally only see what's at the very, very front as you're walking past. And that's when most people are making their decisions. So I recommend walking from like 10 feet away on both sides and walking back and forth past your booth to see what people can see. And is that the thing you want them to see first? So I always put my stockings so you can see them from both sides because that is the biggest thing I sell. It is the biggest thing I market. And it's also my favorite thing to make. So it's the thing I want to sell the most. Um, So those are always at the front for me. And then it moves into other Christmas or scarves or whatever else that I'm selling. But I start with the stockings because that is present throughout my booth. So like for jewelry, if you're selling big jewelry, make sure that's at the front and uh, as well as it's spread throughout your booth like you normally would. And then a lot of times vendors will start, they'll have some help, which highly recommend having somebody come in so you can actually take breaks. Mm-hmm. Um, but during the, their break, they'll just start chatting so much that they don't notice the people walking past them. Okay. So especially if you are on your own for most of the day and you only have somebody there during lunch, just think about that you don't want to just start talking about your day and how the market's going. Because if you're talking about how the market hasn't been very good and a customer happens to walk by, they're going to walk right past because they think it's because your stuff isn't good enough. Not that the market's just been slow. Mm-hmm. Okay. So those are good. Those mistakes. are the two biggest that I've noticed. I like how you talked about the display. It's almost like when you go into a store and you see, and I'm laughing right now internally because I'm thinking of my friend, Michelle, who has, shout out to my friend, Michelle. She's amazing. She has a podcast called the Retail Horror Podcast. <laughs> and it's all, she she basically go, like her job in business is to go and help stores with their displays. So she does, she'll redo all the interior of a store and make it so you can walk through your best sellers are featured in the right places. Like she's a freaking genius, but I was on her podcast and we were talking about like awful displays in stores. And she's, she talked a lot on my podcast. She talked about um, like plastic planters. I, that's what they're called planters, but they're like plastic things that you would like put product on in stores and it like makes it so the product is higher up. I think they're called plastic planters. And she was just basically saying how God awful they are, like horrible they are. 
And I think of the same thing in at markets and things is like you having, I don't know what the correct word is here, but like having stuff that's like not all flat on the table that has, what's the word? Like I'm thinking of the word dimension. Uh, I, yeah, I think dimension, depth, something along depth. those lines when you're adding depth. height to yes. your booth. So it's at different height levels. Yes. Depth it's is the word I was thinking. Important. Thank you. So what do you use to like, what kind of props do you use to kind of make the products on the table, you know, like shift or look different or yeah. How do you add depth to your booth? Is that what I'm trying to say? So I have, I, my dad's an engineer too. I'm an engineer. So we like to build most of the stuff that's in my booth. So it's actually been a really fun to just build it with my dad. So, but I started off the very first thing I did was got, I got four different crates and I would recommend crates that stack in each other for the purposes of getting it to and from your craft fair. You want it to all stack Mm -hmm. together or it takes up way too much space. But I found a couple of crates for like 30 bucks on Amazon, stained them a dark brown color because most of my stuff pops on the darker colors because I do have mostly red, white, and green in my booth. And I use those on tables And then I actually used the bins that I brought all of my stuff to and from craft fairs at the first couple and just put tablecloths over them. Um, Okay. Now, though, that I've had a little bit more time, my dad and I actually built a couple of shelves. Um, So, like, there's a one at this level, then it's something stacks on top of it, and then a really tall one that holds – I have – they're wine bottle cozies, but they're nutcracker pants Mm -hmm. and Santa pants, and you can put two bottles in them. So, I put those up really high so it's right at eye level. Um, Because those tend to attract people in because they think it's so cool. They're not sold as much, but it gets people to come into the booth. So I put those up really high. Um, And then I still use, I think I've now got about 12 crates. And I I have actually been working on a crate wall now instead of having tables um, for my back wall so I can hang the stockings above it. So crates and just building shelves out of wood. Um, I'm sure you could also, if you didn't want to build it, Amazon's got a bunch of them. I think Walmart had a couple when I was looking at what designs I wanted to use. So you can definitely find cheaper versions, but if you know somebody that can help you just, you know, you're just using a drill and a screw, cutting the boards, I would highly recommend doing it yourself. So it's the exact size you need for your stuff because I needed really short things and then one really tall one and it's almost impossible to find the right sizes. So mm-hmm. I recommend building it and I just threw tablecloths over top of those. Okay, Nice. And on for the displays too, do you use a tablecloth with like a logo on it or? I use a black tablecloth all across. So everything is consistent and my colors are very bright. So they pop really well. But if you have um, darker colors, I'd recommend going towards white or I actually prefer gray if you're doing really pale colors or really dark colors because it white gets stained so easily at craft fairs and you have to clean them every single time you come home, which is such a pain. That's true. I use just plain black across everything so that my products pop more than my tablecloths. And I just have my sign at the front. Okay. Gotcha. Um, And then in terms of markets and things, like, do you like going to markets? I'm just curious because I know, like, I'm thinking of one person in particular who she was someone that was just in one of my programs and, like, she would just complain about going to the markets all the time. I think just because they are exhausting and tiring and she's done a lot of them. And I constantly remind her, you know, yes, this might not be forever for you, but it's a way, it's a sales channel. It's a way for you to be making sales while you were building and growing your brand, pretty much brand new business. And, you know, my brain is so marketing and visibility, like everything that you're doing is to get in front of new people. 
everything that you're doing, whether it's a market, whether it's doing a pop-up event at West Elm or something, which I did for my my product-based business. I would do all these like random things that were just a waste of time. But you know, it's it's an attempt to get visibility. It's an attempt to get your brand out in front of people. So I'm just curious what you think of for your business and your brand going to these markets. Do you think it helps you with visibility? Do you think it helps grow your social media, get people in your email list? Ideally, they discover you at a market, follow you, join your email list, and then they buy from your website. Um, I mean, not ideally, I guess it doesn't matter if they buy in person or on the website, but you know, they would maybe buy something in person. And then, um, then ideally, this is the ideally, um, they would buy something else later from your website, because now they know you. But that all came from the market, you know, it stemmed and that discovery was built from the farmer's market. So yeah, I'm just curious what your thoughts are in terms of like, do you think it's helping you with visibility? Is it helping you um, grow your brand? I definitely think it's helping with visibility. It's also my largest sales channel right now, even though I only do four Mm -hmm. of them. It's much bigger than Etsy or my website because people can feel my products and at my price point, that makes a huge difference when you Mm -hmm. can hold the stockings. And then a lot of times the big sales I'll get with like five or six stockings to one family is because the kids are there and they get to pick their stockings, which is a little trickier to do online than when they can physically hold them. Um, But I get a lot of people that saw me at craft fairs the last year and will come find my booth and bring someone with them has actually been the biggest um, return I've gotten on those sales. They'll come find me. They'll send, they'll take my card and give it to somebody else that they know that's in the market for stockings. Um, So it's been more of a word of mouth than uh, social media or anything like that. But my target audience also is not hugely on social media. So it's not super surprising. Okay. So it's been very, very big for me for that. And I do get a lot of people, oh, I bought a stocking from you last year and I need another one because there's a new member of my family. Can you make me this one too? Oh, so. that's awesome. And that's like, that's like exactly what you want. You don't want, like, I'm so big on customer loyalty, customer retention. How do you get a customer and then turn them into like your super fan? So they buy from you. And when they are like, I need a gift for someone that's cool and unique. Oh yeah, Taylor, I'm going to order a stocking for her because that's a really special gift. That's really what you want. So I love that you're already starting to get that just a couple of years into your business. Um, Yeah, I think that's awesome. I feel like I was going to ask something else and my brain just spurted. I feel like I have a lot of questions. I still want to like, there's so many things to kind of talk through, but I would, I would also just be curious, like switching lanes a little bit. Like, what is your why? What is your why behind your business? Like, why did you start it? What keeps you motivated to kind of keep showing up? All that kind of stuff. The original why behind my business was I love knitting. I love crocheting. I wanted to keep doing it. And I wanted to be able to make new things and start to learn how to design my own patterns and branch out a lot from what I was already doing. But to do that, I needed to have more of an income stream from the knitting to be able to justify what I was going to need to spend on the yarn and the needles and the time that I was going to put into it. So that's originally why I started the business, but it's definitely grown more into, I love helping people create their homes and create these memories that are always associated, especially with stockings. I love mm-hmm. when people come up and say, I put up your stocking this past year and I loved it. And my kids loved using their stockings for opening presents or um, whenever a lot of times with the recreation stocking, it's 
the smile on my son-in-law's face when we gave him the stocking and he felt like he was part of the family, truly part of the family this Christmas was amazing. Uh So that's now kind of my why for why I keep doing this is I love being a part of those stories and being a part of creating these memories for all these families. And it happens a lot with scarves too. Um, It's one of my favorites is it was to a new, a soon to be bride, the mother-in-law or soon to be mother-in-law bought it before the proposal because she knew she needed a really good present for Christmas because she knew the son was proposing before Christmas. So she Aww. wanted to have something really special for her for that first Christmas that they were she was going to spend with them as part of the family. So just Aww. all those memories. When it's handmade, mm-hmm. it tends to be people are buying it for a reason. And I love getting to hear about that. And mm-hmm. the best way for me to do that is at craft fairs when people tell me why they bought it. So for me, craft fairs are always worth the time because I get to hear those stories. Plus I also get to meet a bunch of other knitters, which is always fun. And we always get to talk for a while, but that I keep doing it because I love hearing the stories and being a part of people's family memories. That's so awesome. I love that. I feel like that would be, you just, I think sometimes with a product business, at least, at least a lot of people that, that tell me, I felt very impactful with my business because I donated to I donated to to pet rescues each month, a portion of sales. So I always felt like, okay, I'm making some, even if it's a little impact, I'm making something. But I know for a lot of product-based businesses, it can be hard to feel like, why am I doing this? What impact am I making? Why should I keep showing up? No one cares. But I love that for your product and your business, like people sharing those awesome special stories with you, I can imagine like for you, that would be so rewarding and like, kind of just be everything, honestly. So I love that. That's so, that's, that's incredible. You should, I'm just, and this is just like an idea for you now. Cause now I'm thinking like, oh, I have so many ideas for you. So are you, <laughs> are you, are you using any of these stories on your website? If you're not, I would try to use those or implement them in a way that, you know, you're allowed to use people's names, but those stories should be part, you could infuse that in your, like in your packaging and your insert. I have so many ideas. We'll chat after. Um, But if not, you should definitely try to utilize those stories and bring those into your website because with a website, it can be really challenging to bring that like in-person experience on, on a website, on a screen. But I think between product photography, video, and then using those little stories, like why someone bought this Christmas stocking, and then you could put that on the on the product page. And I think that would be just really awesome. So just a little idea for you. Thank you. <laughs> I have them on some of the pages, but not. I don't think I have any stories on the product pages at all, just on the homepage. So, yeah. And that could be like a, a I feel like that could be some kind of like a video that's like streaming at the bottom that could just have like an image graphic of the stocking and then you could have like a story and it it doesn't ha- I don't think it would have to be like exactly for that product I think it's just stories from your customers and you could just yeah I think this is we'll have to chat after cuz I'm getting a lot of ideas for you <laughs> anyway um okay I have one more question to ask you before we before you tell everyone how to find you and where to buy your amazing products um what what has been like your most just exciting or just best moment that has happened to you since you've started your business? And it could be anything, but if you would just have one moment that pops out of your brain, that's like 
I'm, I've made it, I'm successful or just like anything that has been just really rewarding for you. I'm just curious what that moment would be. Um, I think it was the first time I sold something to somebody that wasn't family or friends. Cause most of my first sales were definitely mm-hmm. to my family and friends that knew <laughs> I was starting the business. Um, it was on Etsy and it was somebody that had just messaged me. And it's like, I love your pictures, but you have no reviews. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I mm-hmm. created the listing literally three days ago. So I don't have any reviews, um, but it is actually my, I, this picture is my stock. And she's like, great. Okay. I need five. So we went through Whoa. the entire design process and five. I didn't have five stocking designs on my website at the time. So like I had to go through the process of finding new stockings for her and I made them all. And we had to make a couple of changes on things as we went through the process. And then I sent them back to her. And that same day that they arrived, she opened it up and then took a picture of her youngest kid holding the stocking and sent me the picture back and said, these are absolutely amazing. I am so glad we went with you. And it was, that was definitely a moment of, I made it. It's not my family. Somebody else really likes my stuff. This is Mm -hmm. something I can do. But they have now come back and since bought quite a few more stockings for other members of their family. So. Oh, wow. That's so awesome. Nothing is like your first sale, is it? I, I still remember no. mine. Um, and my first sale for my, my product business was now seven years ago. It, that memory is etched in my brain as it, as if it happened this morning, it's so crazy, but, um, but that's amazing. So, and I'm glad that she's like buying more stuff from you too. So that's awesome. <laughs> Yeah, she was actually the first person I tested the recreation stockings for, actually. Because <laughs> I posted about mine for my husband. She's like, hey, I have, I need one of those. So that's so awesome. I love that. That's amazing. Um, okay, cool. Well, this was super fun to chat about like markets and mistakes people are making and some of the other random things I asked you. Tell everyone where they can find you and how they can order your product and maybe give people a little bit of information on, because you are maybe more of a specialty, like Christmas stocking brand. Tell everyone when they should start thinking about buying those and maybe not try to buy them like on December 20th. Yeah. Yeah. So share any details, give people like, give people a deadline. Listen, people order your damn stocking by September 1st. Let's go. Just give people some orders here. <laughs> yeah. So um, I actually have a Christmas in July sale coming up, which I would highly recommend buying your stockings then, because then I can guarantee you will get them before Thanksgiving, which is always my goal is before Thanksgiving. I would not order stockings unless you literally only want one and it's something that's already in stock. You need to order before October 1st. Because after that, I just can't guarantee you're going to get the stockings before you want to hang them up for Christmas. Um, Because it's two to three days per stocking. And then if I have any orders ahead of yours, it gets backed up very, very quickly. So I would say you want to order between July and September. Sometime in that range. Um, You can buy them on my website. www.engineeredartistry.art. Because .com was already taken. So it's .art. um, And I'm also on Instagram, engineeredartistry as well. So. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Taylor. Awesome to chat with you and always good to see you, of course. And um, yeah, it's awesome to hear just more about your business and the brand that you're building. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. It was great. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you love this episode, please go ahead and leave a review on Apple Podcasts and then take a screenshot and share it on your Instagram stories. Tag me in it at Carrie A. Fitzgerald. My name is in the show notes. Thank you so much and I'll see you guys next week.